Mr. Smith Talks Triathlon, Episode 13, 10 Ways to a Faster Half Ironman. Mr. Smith Talks Triathlon, practical triathlon advice for everyday athletes, not just those that finish in the top 10. Now, is that Doug back? Is it really? Warren has had a voice implant. <laughs> it is me. It is me. Bigger, Fantastic. slower, and all those other things that happen when you uh, eat your way around Europe for a month. <laughs> oh, good on you. Got to take those chances when you can. There was this, a, lot, a lot of carb loading. This has been your off-season, so uh, look, you, you, when you come back to Swim Squad, you'll be horrified at how fit and fast everyone is. Yeah, but, I think the theory of displacement, they, they won't need to put quite so much water in the pool. <laughs> So uh, I'll, give the, I'll give them fair warning. But uh, no, good to be back. Had a great time, but uh, we do live in a magical country here in New Zealand. Yeah, get, get those reminders. Yep, yep. Yeah. Hey, um, so, something we must do, actually, before I forget, is that I did have to point out Warren at one of the squad sessions to say, hey, this is the, this is the guy on the podcast. And before you went away, a few people had very quietly asked who it was. So we must do that. And then we must talk a bit more about you one of these days. Well, I can imagine you need to point out, Warren, he's such a quiet, unassuming character. <laughs> well, he filled your boots beautifully, though. Fantastic, fantastic. And, uh, yeah, I've been away for a while. You're looking lean and mean yourself, Coach. Well, we've been busy training up a storm around here. We've had uh, had some big stuff going on with training camp while you're away, then a big, uh, big labour weekend of training. Kind of touched on those in the last couple of weeks, I think. But um, we've also been in the, in the open water, Ooh, I remember yeah. those days. I remember those days. And it's all, I think uh, from memory, the last time we did this, it's always good to have a little bit look back at what's going on in the team. Mm. So I know you mentioned a couple of things, the the training camp, uh, the big label weekend session. Um, but yeah, talk me through the old uh, dipping the toe in the uh, in the cold water, open water swims. Yeah, well, it, it is always a bit of a shock to the system. So we did our first one on Labor Day with the Tri Club. Fantastic, had 70-something people there. So it was great. There was plenty of people to swim with and then on Saturday just gone we got back in for our second swim as a squad again it's great that we've got a good number of people because it means that there is company no one's mm. no one's stuck on their own or out there isolated we're able to, to buddy up which is really really important for safety all the time in the open water yeah yeah I do remember the uh going arranging to meet with someone to go for a swim in the harbour and uh, they didn't turn up so I I think we were going to be doing the lighthouse or something, but instead mm. I just did a few laps of the uh, um, uh, a couple of the boys there, and then jumped on the bike, heading off around Oriental Parade, only to see a pod of orca <laughs> by the by the lighthouse. So uh, yeah, hey, I, I was pleased that I'd just done the, the, a slightly shorter swim, but uh, no, it really important to get in there, almost no matter what the conditions are, to to get used De- to it. Definitely, and and look, we, we all know it's bloody cold at the moment. But for those people who are newer to it, it is important to have that frequency of contact with the open water because it is different to being in the pool, that's for sure. Yeah, I think that, again, from memory, there's a bit more thinking goes on Mm. when you're out there in the open water. I see you doing some sighting at those swim sessions that I'm not attending. Um, (laughs) But it is, it's it's crucial uh, when you're in the pool, you can just black line it, you don't really have to think, you get told what to do and... You know, when you bump your head at the end, you turn around and come in the other direction. But the open water, there's there's a lot of skills that are needed, as well as that getting used to 
the wetsuit, which is yeah. not everybody's spent hours and hours in the wetsuit. Yeah, we were just talking about that before, that, that yeah, the, a wetsuit can feel constricting. So getting that on, getting it on properly, and just getting used to the feel of that. Um, but, but you also mentioned um, the skills. So important to just yeah, work on your skills in the open water. It's really easy just to go out and swim blindly. And uh, that's, yeah, that, that's got benefits. You're going to be getting used to the feel of the water and the, the, the chop or whatever's going on. But really, skills, sighting, navigation, drafting, getting out of the water at the end when you've been lying down and the blood's all in your and your ankles and needs to get to your head, whatever it is. You know, some of those things that I remember, you, know, you try to get into a rhythm, but again, that's not always easy when it's a bit choppy. You know, yeah. the, the hand comes down and there's no water there. Yeah. Um, that type of thing. And, and just getting used to it. And those that did Ironman this year in Taupo will yeah. know, you know, just go out, unless it's unsafe, <laughs> go out there, experience it, because you never know. What, yeah. what it's going to be like and, and the more times you, you can touch the the water the better and that goes for swimming in general be it in the pool but particularly for those who want to build more confidence in the open water do get in there more often it's something you can do which isn't going to leave you fatigued um, there's lots of other people looking to do the same at this time of year so by all means add extra swims if you can yeah and the camaraderie of the of the squad get out there with other people do it in groups everyone looks after each other yeah and uh, you'll be as good as gold definitely Fantastic. And last episode, uh, the last episode that Mr. Sue uh, helped you with. Uh, yeah, so we, we talked about the uh, the run-walk, using that in an event. And what Warren was, was talking about, how to him it was such a foreign thing, and I know it certainly is to a lot of others. But the idea is, by going into it with planned walk breaks, you can be stronger and faster at the end of the run, and that's going to lead to a better overall result. Yep. So that, that's what it's about, really simple go back and have a listen to that episode because uh, if you haven't already because it's really important to get that right in your head and then put it into practice and training as well. Yeah, and I did. I, I've listened to the to them all um, just to hear Warren's voice and it certainly <laughs> helped me sleep on the plane. Um, but, you know, you talked about walking at, at a minimum the aid stations. Yeah. And I just remember someone telling me before I'd ever done an event, it's guaranteed fuel on board. Yes, making sure you get that cup of this and that glass of whatever else. You try and barrel it through that aid station, grabbing at cups and food. Yeah, it's it's a nightmare, and it does. It just gives you that micro rest, so that then you you go again. That's um, it. And yeah, you, you, you talked about the you people walk at this speed. They usually run at this speed. If you're walking for thirty seconds, it's bugger all different. The, the loss is negligible, and the benefits are in the long. Excuse the pun in the long run. Yeah. When you get to the tail end, you're slightly more got more energy in the tank and you've made sure you've fueled yourself up properly yeah that's it now i did have someone ask me about um whether they should be running faster because of their taking these walk breaks and the theory is yes but in reality it's such a small difference that you can't really measure it or quantify it, it it's not the difference between running a 5k and running a marathon it's not that mm. kind of speed it's just it's a matter of seconds per kilometer but simply by having the walk breaks it will help you to run that little bit faster anyway. So don't don't try and force it and make it happen. Just let it flow. Yeah, I was going to say, just because you're walking, don't try and then make up the time by running faster because you'll then negate <laughs> the benefit gained from having done that little yeah. that little walk. So, yeah. yeah. And, and especially in the first 100 metres when you start running again because that person in front of you got that little bit further up the road, you don't have to catch them in the next 100 metres. Yeah. 
I think uh, when I did Iron Man, I walked the aid stations and I walked anything that I <laughs> defined as a as a hill yeah. or or a slight in, a, a bit of an incline at least for the first lap and a half just to to try and keep something in my legs. Yeah, that's the way to go. A lot more walking happened a little bit later in the race, but I think it, I would have been walking a lot sooner yeah. if I'd not taken those opportunities to just walk the hills and walk the aid stations. And, and it's a very long walk when you're w- walking from, from early on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A long walk with a fluorescent uh, ring around your neck and a, and a, and a safety <laughs> a blanket. Poncho. Yeah, exactly. So this week, this week, we... Ten ways to a faster half Ironman. Oh yeah, sounds sounds like guaranteed performance, doesn't it? It's fantastic. <laughs> That's why we pay you the big bucks. <laughs> well, so, so are we in no particular order, are we? Uh, yeah, what are we? What, what's number one? All right, just before I get to that, um, just want to talk about that right now. Uh, we mentioned it before. I think it's five weeks to Iron Maori. so it's time that we started really thinking about the events and what we're going to talk about here is things that you can do in your event and. A lot, of the, a lot of this you'll need to practice and try and train in before you get there. Yeah. Uh, but we'll be talking race prep for probably the next four or five episodes, particularly to help you get everything lined up. Fantastic. And so this is just the start of it. Yeah. So number one, well, this one's probably pretty obvious, do the training. Because, oh. yeah, it Ex- does explain, make, explain. It does make a difference. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, yeah, if you haven't been doing the training, you can't cram for it now. But what you can do is just be a little bit more consistent about what you're doing over the next few weeks, um, just to really start getting in tune and and trying that out. A lot of these other things we're going to talk about, but yeah. there's you, you you don't perform to a high level without doing the training. Yeah, and we've talked about the uh, you know you design the sessions and the plans mm. the way you design them for a reason. Yep, there's a balance in life, and you might miss the odd session, but if you're skipping every hill session yeah you're going to be in trouble yeah and if you skip but if you're skipping you know one hill and then maybe one swim you're probably okay but you've got to Definitely. do the majority otherwise you can't expect to perform yeah and, and now that this stage we're at we're at the bigger harder training so you want to make sure that you're, you're doing that and that you're recovering afterwards you're not trying to jam it all together yeah. in three days out of your, your seven days worth of training yeah. because you just won't get the benefits from it Number two on your list, uh, aero bars and, and possibly a bike fit. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure we touched on this early on, but aero bars are just um, not quite free speed. You've got to pay for them, but they are the best value for money that you can get in terms of speed. Yep. That by cutting down wind resistance, you are instantly gaining speed on your bike. Yep. And from my, again, just my experience, just one person, I had some clip-on aero bars on a road bike for the first time five six years seven years ago mm. and i felt that you know i don't have any uh scientific evidence to back this up but i felt at about the same effort level i was going about two maybe three kilometers an hour faster yep that's it's, you know this is round the bays on a calm day yeah but it was a good way to to measure yeah um the one thing i would and you're probably going to mention it is you've got to get used to being in them though bang on um yep, exactly. and i did yep. invest in a tri bike i didn't spend enough time in the aero position mm. and getting it fitted properly. Yep. Come race day, I spent 45 kilometres pretty much in the upright position. Yeah. I might as well yeah. have had a basket on the front with a couple of baguettes. <laughs> Ooh, baguettes. <laughs> well, you've just done that recently, haven't <laughs> yeah. you? So, yeah, yeah, you've you got to get... It's a bit like the wetsuit. Yeah. Get used to wearing the wetsuit, swimming in the wetsuit. Aero bars, 
literally you need to get to a position, I think, where you can spend 30, 40 minutes in that position and feel comfortable. Totally. Not wanting to sit up. Um, you, you mentioned it just before with the bike fit, because comfort has to be there. Because if you're not comfortable, you're never going to hold it. Yeah. And then you just have to practice, because the moment you come out of error position, it's going to slow you down. So if you want to get the, the most benefit from your training and from the equipment, you've got to spend the time there now to be fully comfortable, ready to hold that position. Yeah. A while back we talked about investing in technology. Yeah. Um, third on the list, there's some other bits that you, you, you could do, you can do. Yeah, there, there's lots of other equipment to help you make you go faster, but I've kind of clumped a lot of them together because in the scheme of it, it's equipment. You can go out and buy it or not, just depending on what your budget is. But an aero helmet is really high on the, the value for money stakes. And in fact, a lot more so than race wheels. They're, they're pricey items getting into the thousands of dollars for a good, yep. good, good pair. An aero helmet, several hundred dollars, but uh, quite honestly, they uh, make a very big difference. Yeah, and I, again, from experience, if you do buy an aero helmet, only buy one when you know you can spend lots of time in the aero position. Yeah, yeah. Because the minute you sit up, it, it loses <laughs> from aero yeah. to zero. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, yeah. The, the head is a huge amount of drag. They've done it in wind tunnels. And so the higher your head is sitting... Yep. then the more drag there is. Yep. Yeah. Um, also with the equipment, I'd always say to someone, if you can't afford race wheels, get at least get race tyres. Because you might be spending a couple of hundred dollars on a pair of really good tyres, but honestly the difference in the rolling resistance is huge. Yep, yep. And on race tyres, race wheels, if you are doing something a bit different for race day, make sure you know how to change it. Yes, if, if it is a little bit of a slightly different setup, yeah, that's yeah. for sure. Because you can you can rent race wheels; they might be carbon ones. There's various things that go with that, so just know your equipment and and how you're going to deal with it. Yep, great. Fourth on the list, Trans- this is, and this is free. You it don't is. even have to pay for this one. It is transitions. Yep. And uh, Mike Bunton is the uh, the master of transitions. He uh, yeah, any race, I guarantee he will be the fastest of our squad through them. Yeah, he's got it absolutely down pat, but it's the difference between it's several minutes worth of time can easily be lost in transition. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, we're talking a bit more about that as we go, but the simplest thing to do is don't make decisions in transition. Have only the minimum of what you need. You come in, you don't have to think, you do it, and you move on again. Yeah, and I think, well, if we're going to talk about it at a a later podcast, but having things laid out literally in the order that you're going to put them on yeah you know having your tri suit on underneath your wetsuit so there's no change because some people do change and put on a different top on um again it depends how fast you want to be yeah and and, and people place different values on the time and the speed yeah. but we are talking here about if you want to go faster these are all really simple things to do to, to gain that time yeah and i do i remember one because um, i spent an inordinate amount of time trying to get a wetsuit off first time round, but just a little bit of either baby oil or something similar just around the on the inside and the outside of the cuff yes of the wrists and ankles yeah and it just helps you peel that suit off slips off like a banana minute. exactly perfect um number five on your list because we are reading a list yeah. uh, just in case you hadn't guessed as yet <laughs> so pacing about you know yeah. how fast to start yeah the, impacts how you finish absolutely that when you go into a race a key race you are rested and tapered and highly fueled from everything you've been eating in the days beforehand. So you're feeling fantastic, and you think that you can beat Cameron Brown. You just <laughs> feel that good. But reality is, I don't think you're going to beat him, so don't try to. That Really, 
if anything, you should be feeling like you're going a little bit easier than you think you should at the start, because that's probably just going to help you get into the right level. Yeah. Because if you if you go too hard at the start, you're only going to slow down, and it's only going to come back to bite later on. And from my experience, again, I've sometimes I get off the bike and, and you feel quite good. Well, mm. well, it feels a little bit hard, but then you look at your watch and you're going 10, 15 seconds a K faster than yeah. you might have put in your race plan. Um, that aside, uh, I did make a note. If you start a little bit easier, because both physically and mentally, it yeah. feels great when you start to, if you feel you're speeding up for that second half yeah. of the of the half marathon or whether it be Ironman. Um, yeah, there's there's some real benefits to 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 the confidence when you start to speed up. Yeah, mm. and if you go, let's pick a number, a minute too slow at the start of the bike, you are easily going to make that up later in the run. Yeah, but if uh, if you spend that time going too hard, it's going to come back to bite. Yeah, so I think thinking about your race plan, how fast you're going to go, so you've got it in your head. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just going to have to base it purely on how you feel, which is is a good measure, but not not always ideal. Yeah, and and look, we're going to dive into a few more specifics about how to do cool. some of these things in the coming weeks. Um, six on the list, and I've got this one nailed, as is proof of my month <laughs> in Europe, nutrition. Yes. So it's just baguettes and pain au chocolat all the way? Did it, did it work for you? Fueled, no. Fueled you around? <laughs> it has slowed me down somewhat, yeah. But that's another story. So yeah, eating and drinking during... Do you mean during the event? Is that yeah, your uh, yeah? That's right. Yep. Yeah, thinking specifically about race day and what you're gonna what you're gonna do there. And the biggest thing is that you should be able to do it right now. That if you still don't have the confidence and skills to lift hands off the bike and pick up a bottle or grab some food out of a pocket, you've really got to work hard at that yep. in the next few weeks. Yeah, and that might sound really weird to some people, but I am aware of some pretty decent athletes who had to stop to take a bottle out of their drink cage to yeah. have a drink. Yeah. Um, they were they were newish to the sport, but were good athletes, yep. and you kind of sort of take it as a given. But, yeah, even just checking that the, the bike cage, that the cage is not so tight that you're yes. having to yank it out. And tip yourself over sideways. Or drop it, or flip, yeah. Yep. So it, these are some of the really small bits, but, um, yeah, yeah. And interesting stuff. And, and the other part of it, too, is... Um, figuring out how much you should eat, actually fueling yourself enough. Because I know there's a lot of people out there who can get through a decent-sized training session on the smell of an oily rag. But again, race day, when you want to perform, is different. That's when you put the rocket fuel in to really keep you going strong to the end. And when you're tra- when you're out there at the moment, the squads are you is everybody sort of working on what they're eating and how they're eating? Yeah, so so that is definitely a focus for the next few weeks. Yeah. And so uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be talking about it in the coming sessions. But also from this, take it upon yourself to really think about what you might be having. Practice um, eating when we are riding harder. Yeah. Eating on the go at that, at that stage rather than wait until an easy time or till when we stopped. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Um, drafting on the bike, that's not allowed. No, no, unfortunately. But you could draft on the swim if you're clever. You can, yep. I've always, uh, that's number seven on your list. I've always found a little bit, just because of the differences in pace. Yeah. And you're never quite sure whose feet they are. It, it, it is a tricky one because, yeah, you've got people swimming at different speeds. There might be wave starts at some events. Yeah. Um, there are people who swim crooked. Uh, so it, it's it's a tricky one. But if you can... There's numbers banded around that drafting in the swim saves you 30% of energy. Yeah. Quite significant amount of 
energy to be to be saved there. I think everybody knows what it's like when you ride on someone's feet in the pool. Mm. It's fantastic. Sure is. But yeah, there is that element of okay, I need to trust this person's going in the right direction. Yeah. And and I don't know that do they need to be going at maybe ten percent, fifteen percent faster than you normally would. Yeah. And then you get sort of sucked along. Um, yeah, yep, absolutely. The, the idea that, is to go faster as opposed to save energy for the bike. It, it can go either way. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Ideally, go faster. Um, so, yeah, you, you want to feel like you're swimming your normal effort, and then they are helping just to tow you along because they are that little bit faster. Yeah. And again, we're going to be putting some specific practice on this when we're out in the harbour. But something to try for anyone who's listening is to draft behind someone and you're going, oh, this is too easy. I I should swim on my own. But you pull out to go past them and you go, oh, I can't actually get past. That's the level of difference that it makes. Yeah, and I think those mass starts are the other ones where you... Drafting is actually a little bit easier because you you kind of end up with people who are around your level. Yeah. Or if someone's a little bit faster, you just sort of jump on. Yeah. You're right, with the wave start, similar to uh, the 70.3 in Taupo, it's hard because you think you're going okay and then the 25 <laughs> to 29 age group come ploughing over the top of you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, if you can do it, fantastic. It's just not always that easy to jump on someone's feet. And, and, and also recognise that the people who are some of the slower swimmers out there that the navigation skills of the people you're swimming with aren't so flash. They might yeah. be going crooked, so you've got to pick your time when you're going to draft. Yeah. But if you can, go for it. Yeah. Eight on the list. Athlete's responsibility, course knowledge. Yeah, yeah. M- most events are actually pretty well marshaled. So you'd be uh, unlucky, uh, Mr Grindle, wouldn't you, to get lost on a course? <laughs> yeah. Oh, naming names. Naming names. Is terrible. Outrageous. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, look, the, the course knowledge that knowing something about the course that okay if you want a bit of an adventure you just front up and see what happens but again if you're looking for that bit of performance what can you find out about the course there's information on the website obviously there's lots of other people in the squad who have done every event that there is out there and so yeah find out what you can that's going to help you through it yeah and it's not just knowing when to go left and when to go right it's knowing when there's hills mm. or when there's a down you know a, you know a downhill that type of thing. So, so we had exactly this uh, on camp when we rode the Iron Māori course, and it's about 5k into it as the first hill. And so I got to that, and it's like, oh, I haven't eaten anything, which didn't really need to do on camp day, but thinking, well, race day, I probably want to. And then yeah. I, I get up that hill, and then there's a couple of fast corners after that, and then you're not sure what's coming around the next corner, and all of a sudden it could be 30, 40 minutes into the race, and you go, oh, I haven't eaten yet. Yeah. So knowing those little things can make a real difference. Yeah, yeah, you're getting right into the important stuff now when you start yeah. thinking about because you do 10, 15 minutes and you still haven't eaten, and that's 10, 15 minutes after you probably should have eaten. Yeah, 10 minutes before that, yeah, you, right. you start going into deficit. Yeah. yeah, and you either try and cram too much in, which can turn messy, or you're you're just missing some of the yeah. fuel that you need. Number nine, again, free, free, free energy. Yes, free energy. The supporters out there that. All the events, once you uh, once you hit the run, there's generally quite a lot of support around. Um, courses go in different directions, of course. But, uh, yeah, that feed off the energy of the people on the sidelines. That they, most of the people there think you're an absolute hero and, and can't comprehend themselves doing something like this. So, yeah, they're, they're giving you the love. So take that on board. Reflect it back to them. Some smiles, some waves, some 
whatever it is but but the more you give back to them the more they'll give to you yeah and listen out for familiar voices that in days gone by your name didn't used to be on your your number so the only two people that shouted out your name were people yeah. who knew you yeah now everybody's go Gerard go Gerard <laughs> who's that Did and you've got no idea but it's nice when you and other people who are competing when they're coming in the other direction particularly on loop courses on the run I think it's great to just give them a yeah, shout out totally yeah fantastic um, number 10 alright so the one that we'll finish with is um, is writing a race plan and it is scientifically proven by me <laughs> That that in fact is known for for goals. If you write your goals, you are far far more likely to achieve them. Yeah. And same thing goes with a race plan. And a race plan can be as much or as little detail as you want. I've seen people who do just a set of bullet points. That's perfect for them. I've seen others who write pages and pages. That's perfect for mm-hmm. them. Yeah. But actually taking the time to write it down, that helps you think about or spot any gaps and helps reinforce how you're going to go about things. Yeah, and I think with the race plan, and this is just for me, you're never, you're never sure what it's going to be like on the day, mm. how, how the, the weather's going to be, sure. how you're going to be. Yes, you may have done the training. So give yourself a little bit of leeway. Yeah. If you've said, I'm going to do the swim in this, and you're two minutes slower, yep. don't beat yourself up. It's just get out and carry on because, you know, anything between a five and seven-hour day out there... Yeah, you there's going to be moments when it doesn't quite go to plan. Totally. So yeah, um, yeah don't get too super duper specific on those timings and things like that. Funny you should mention that. We are going to have a whole whole podcast on exactly that coming up soon. So perfect, Doug. In can't, fact, we might have to do it next week now. Can't wait. Can't wait. So that's ten. Yeah. Um, sort of covered quite a lot there, and oh. there's certain areas that I, I think you're going to dig a little deeper as we get closer and closer to the the first race day but um look look there, there, there could be 20 there could be 30 we've just picked some that are very keep coming back to what we're here to do and that's practical advice and things that are going to make the biggest difference to you on your race day yeah so well you've almost summarized there but yeah you know in summary it's, it's about being clear with what you're wanting to achieve mm-hmm. um and making and, and specifically preparing for that yeah yep and then if you've got these, you know, 10, 15, 20 things that can, uh, you know, make you faster, yes. some of them are free, some of them require investment. Again, we've talked about it in other podcasts, you know, it doesn't have to be everything. There might be that, three or four that a, really make the difference for you as a as an athlete. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Great podcast. Fantastic. Pleasure to be back. We might have set a new time record, so we should probably wrap up there. Well, I did see Warren had rambled on for almost 26 minutes, so if I just carry on a little <laughs> bit longer... No, only joking. It's good to be back and yeah. good to see you and uh, Thank you, hope Doug. everybody's uh, going well out there. All right, we'll be back again next week. Cheers, Cheers Doug. Thank you.